Hello, I'm Chuck Robertson, and thanks for listening to my podcast today. The next several podcasts are going to be geared toward the husband. My friend, David Summerdorf, has a series of lessons on the home, and the one we're going to focus on is his lesson on husband's love. So if you're a husband, or one day hope to be a husband, let me encourage you to listen to the next several podcasts. I believe they can really help you be the husband God wants you to be. So here's part one of Husband's Love. Psalm 127, 1, it says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. We're considering the institution of marriage and the home as God has set it up. And we've kind of entitled the thoughts, God's Blueprint for a Happy Home. I noted last night that the institution of marriage and the family really began in the mind of God. He was the manufacturer. He was the inventor of the home and the family. And something I learned uh, about any product that I've ever purchased is anytime you buy a product, there's always a set of instructions that comes with it. Amen? And if there's assembly required, they always tell you how to assemble it. And let me just say, God has given us an instruction book on how to have a happy home. Unfortunately, most of us think we're smarter than the designer, and we mess up the marriage when it shouldn't have been messed up. Amen? Tonight, I want to turn my attention to verse 25, where God turns to the husband, and he gives him his assignment. Listen to what he says in verse 25. He says, husbands love. Husbands love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Tonight we look at the second side of the marriage coin. Last night we saw one side read, wives submit. But tonight we're going to look at the other side of the relationship. And that side of the coin says, husbands love. Now you remember the secret to making this thing work, don't you? It's mind your own business. Amen. You cannot change somebody else. You can only change yourself. Let me put it even. You can only yield and allow God to change you. And your changed self will influence someone else. Amen? Just a show of hands, how hard is it for you to change a habit? Just personally, pretty hard, isn't it? Well, how hard do how hard you, if you struggle changing, how, why would you even attempt to change somebody else? Amen? And by the way, the last time I checked, there's a whole bunch of weeds on our side of the fence line. You know what I'm saying? Quit worrying about someone else's property. Amen? You got a lot of work in your life. Quit trying to work on someone else. He says here, and I want to go back now, verse 25, he turns to the man and he gives us our assignment, guys. He says, husbands love. And notice the example he uses. He says, husbands, love your wives. How? Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. As we begin the thought tonight, you and I need to recognize that love means a lot of things to a lot of people. 
there are a lot of definitions and ideas. So God goes ahead and nails down the proper love that a husband should have for his wife by using his son's love for us as the example of true love. Now this tells me something tonight. To understand how to love my wife, I must first understand how Christ loved me. Amen? Now, this means this. If you're not saved tonight, you're going to struggle with this message because you've never tasted that kind of love. You've never been saved. It's going to be hard for you to give something you've not received. But if we can understand Christ's love for us tonight, if we can somehow describe that, we then have described and begun to understand the kind of love a husband is to have for his wife. So, I chose four words, four, adjective, four adverbs to describe Christ's love for you and me. And in describing that, it begins to describe the kind of love husbands were to have for our wives. The first word I chose, what kind, how did Jesus Christ love you and love me? The first word I chose was this, he loved us knowledgeably. He loved us knowledgeably. Personalize it. He loved you knowledgeably, and he loved me knowledgeably. You say, what are you saying? I'm saying this. He was not indifferent. He was not aloof. He studied you. He began to study you. He got interested in you. He began to scrutinize you to find your faults, to find your weaknesses, to find your deficiencies, to find your flaws, to find your vulnerabilities, not to exploit them, but to fulfill them. Not as a reason to reject you, but as a reason to redeem you. He took knowledge and became interested in you. This is what makes Christianity so different than every other religion. Every other religion says you've got to go and claw your way to get to God. Christianity says God came down and met with us. Scripture makes it clear he came to seek there's that looking, that searching, that seeking to save that which was lost. And the songwriter said, he looked beyond my fault and saw my need. Probably the greatest portion of Scripture, if you go back to Ezekiel chapter 16, that I've found that can come close to describing who you and I were. When God found you, what did he find? When Jesus Christ came to seek and to save you, what was the condition of your soul? Who were you? This is probably one of the greatest portions of Scripture. God is describing Jerusalem here. And uh, notice in verse 4 of Ezekiel 16, he says, And as for thy nativity, in the day thou wast born, thy navel was not cut. Neither wast thou washed in water to supple thee, thou wast not salted at all, nor swaddled at all. Look at verse 5. None I pitied thee to do any of these unto thee. To have compassion upon me, that thou was cast out into the open field to the loathing of thy person in the day that thou wast born. And when I passed by thee and saw thee, polluted in thine own blood, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. Yea, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. Well, the picture is a very clear one here. We see an unwanted child. 
It's still in the merconium, in the afterbirth. It's still covered in blood. And it's unwanted. It's been cast aside to die. The picture here is people come along and they see this unwanted, unlovely, unclean thing. And you know what they see when they see this wailing baby still covered in blood and afterbirth, shivering in the cold, crying out for help? You know what they see? They don't see a blessing. They see a burden. It's nothing but a liability. It's nothing but a bunch of work. It's nothing but a burden. And they see all the filth, and they see all the unloveliness, and they see all of that, and all they do is they pass by. Scripture says, none I pitied thee. But then someone else came along. And he saw everything that everybody else saw. He saw our sin sufficiency and our righteousness deficiency. Scripture says we were an unclean thing. We were a stench. We were filthy. We were unlovely. We couldn't help ourselves. We were going to die. And he saw all that. He saw everything everybody else saw. But where everybody saw that as the reason to keep on going and to reject, he saw that as the reason to redeem. And he paused. And then he stooped and humbled himself. And at the expense of his own life, he said, live. Fanny Crosby got it right. My favorite hymn. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, don't pass me by. I couldn't get to him. He had to come to me. I didn't see him. He saw me. And he saw all the filth. And he saw. He said, that's why I came. That's it. You're the reason I came right there. And let me tell you something. The day that merger took place, that you became... A child of this king, you became a joint heir the day that merger took place. You can always tell when two companies merge which company was weak and which company was strong. Because a strong company's stock takes a dip, you know what I mean? Because it inherited a liability. It didn't inherit a blessing. And the weak company, man, its stock goes streaming high because it was on its way out. But whoa, now it's valuable. And if you could see it, if you could somehow see you can't. But if you could go to heaven and just look at the day that you and Jesus Christ became one. He, you became a journey. I'm going to tell you something. If any stock took a hit, it was heaven. That You were a liability. You weren't a blessing. And... If any stock went screaming sky high, it was yours and mine the day he saved us. Y'all with me? I'm going to tell you the truth. No one would have blamed him for walking past us. But he said, that's why I came. I came because of that need right there. Amen? He didn't pass us by. We were the winners when the merger took place. And you and I need to recognize, and it's kind of little Ruth and the romance of redemption. You know what she said to her Boaz when he redeemed her? She said, why have you taken knowledge of me, a stranger? You know, I think sometimes we think we deserve to get saved. You didn't deserve to get saved. Y'all with me? You and I deserved to go to hell and then the lake of fire. That's what grace and mercy is all about. It's for the undeserving. 
And now you and I are redeemed because someone studied us, took knowledge of us, and saw that he was the answer to our need. And Scripture makes it very clear, as husbands, that's the first way we're to love our wife. We're to study her. We're to seek to understand who she is. We're supposed to try to figure her out. Look in 1 Peter. Go with me to the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 3. God gives us a very clear command. In 1 Peter chapter 3, husbands, you and I need to recognize that we likewise must love our wives knowledgeably. We must study them. We must seek to know her needs. We must figure out her faults and deficiencies, not to exploit them, not to leverage, not to use them against her, but to use them as a reason to step up and help meet those needs. Look in 1 Peter chapter 3, in verse number 7. In 1 Peter 3, and verse number 7, The Bible says, likewise, your husbands dwell with them. Speaking of the wife, notice this, according to, what's the word? Knowledge. There it is. And notice one piece of knowledge he gives in verse 7. Giving honor unto the wife is unto the weaker vessel. That's not speaking of character or value. It's just speaking about how God made her. Amen? She's more tender and sensitive and delicate as a rule than we are, men. I had a guy say to me, why does my wife look, think, and act so different? I said, because she's different. they're just a different creature. Generally speaking, they're very different from men. Amen? Uh, I uh, recently had somebody send this to me. I thought it was pretty good. It was entitled, Understanding Gender Differences. A Spanish teacher was explaining to her class that in Spanish, unlike English, nouns are designated as either masculine or feminine. House, for instance, is feminine. La casa. Pencil, however, is masculine. El lapis. A student asked, um, excuse me, what gender is computer? Oh, instead of giving the answer, the teacher split the class into two groups, male and female, and asked them to decide for themselves whether computer should be a masculine or a feminine noun. Each group was asked to give four reasons for its recommendation. The men's group decided that a computer should definitely be of the feminine gender, la computadora. Because, number one, no one but their creator understands their internal logic. (laughs) Number two, the native language they use to communicate with other computers is incomprehensible to everyone else. Number three, even the smallest mistakes are stored in long-term memory. For possible later retrieval. (laughs) And number four, as soon as you make a commitment to one, you find yourself spending half your paycheck on accessories for it. (laughs) The woman's group could only come up with three reasons. But they concluded the computer should be masculine, el computador. Because, number one, they have a lot of data but still can't think for themselves. (laughs) 
Number two, they're supposed to help you solve problems, but half the time they are the problem. <laughs> and number three, as soon as you commit to one, you realize if you'd waited a little longer, you could have gotten a better model. <laughs> they are different, guys. They're different. And, you, and, and, and people say, but, but I don't like that. You should be glad she's different, sir. Because how would you like to be married to you? <laughs> Amen? They process differently. As a rule, they operate differently. They're more relationship-oriented, not always goal-oriented. There's exceptions, but I'm just giving you a general makeup of how God created male and female in this universe. And so tonight, I want to ask men, do you know the needs of your wife? Have you studied her to try to figure her out? And then seek to meet those needs? First of all, her physical needs. She's different than we are. She's uniquely different, and you need to notice those differences and operate accordingly. Number two, she has emotional needs. Your wife, as a general rule, has emotional needs. Let me give you a few of them that I found my wife has. Number one, she desires security. As a rule, most wives desire security, and their security is their man. Can I just shoot straight? I don't understand this young generation of men today. I grew up in a generation, I don't care if you work three jobs, you took care of the family. But we got a lot of men today just want to be boys, playing video games. They don't want to marry a wife and be responsible. They want a, someone to mother them. And if that's you, you're a sick individual. I'm telling you the truth. I'm shooting straight. There was a day, I'm telling you, men would never accept a welfare check. They'd work three jobs rather than take some handout. They had this sense of responsibility. When they said, I do, they were the provider. And guy, let me just tell you, sir, if you're here tonight, you're just a bum. I'm just going to tell you this. There is nothing romantic about a candlelight dinner because your electric got cut off because you didn't pay the bill. They desire security. And as a general rule, the husband becomes that to his wife. Number two, most women have an endless capacity for love and affection. Uh, Pastor, you've counseled counselless marriages, and I've done the same too. And you know what I've never heard in the counseling session? I've never heard a woman say to me, in my 30-some years of being saved, is we're, we're talking to husband and wife. She's never looked at me and says, you know what his problem is? <laughs> he just loves me too much. Every time I turn around, he's loving on me. He's tearing me. I've never heard that. But I'll hear the opposite all the time. I just don't feel like he loves me. It tells me most women have an endless capacity for love and affection from their man thirdly here's an emotionally and keep in mind guys you say well well that's not me we're not talking about you and i have guys say well i told her i loved her the day i married her if i ever change my mind you know blah 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 blah, blah. that's a crock i'm gonna tell you why because when we men got married we had one thing on our mind and honeymoon night wasn't enough. Okay? 
there's needs. And you continually stoop to meet those needs. And your wife, sir, isn't all logic. She has needs too. And she wants love and affection from you. 